Hello, and welcome to the Gundam Sentinel Podcast. My name is Gordon, and I'll be your host of this limited run series. Gundam Sentinel is a side story set in the Universal Century timeline of Mobile Suit Gundam. I've always loved this IP, and I wanted to share my love analysis of this with you. This does, however, contain spoilers for other works in the Universal Century timeline, so be warned. I hope you guys enjoy. Chapter 10 The Shadow of Neo Zeon, Neo Zeon no Kage. Offshore was in pursuit of the Zeta Plus when he saw it. An expanding ball of fire in his 360 degree panoramic monitor panel. At the same time, he saw the white mobile suit fleeing from the explosion was intact. How can this be? It's a lie. Damn it, he said. He cannot believe what he had seen. He stood still in his echo ice and just stared at the white mobile suit flee the combat zone. The gray suit also had a chance to escape. Captain Cod. Captain Cod has died. Cray received word while he was attempting to occupy the spaceport. He was stunned. He was concerned for Offshore, who gave him the news. He asked if Vivi was okay. He said he was, and was able to fight on. He knew it was wrong, but Cray decided to make use of Offshore's mental strength. During the One Year War, when he was at a Xeon POW camp, despite his misgivings, he made use of others around him for his personal gains. He felt he had to do so again. Okay, from now on, you will be in charge of commanding the troops. That's too heavy a load for me. You have to do it, Josh. I've stabilized the situation here and I'm handing command over to you. Don't worry, you can do it. Understood. I, Josh Offshore, will now hold the right to command the troops. It's all up to you now. Cray saw the first wave of escape shuttles being launched. They were to fly straight to Lagrange Point 1 and rendezvous with the remaining ships at Iodos fleet who were waiting for them there. He thought about Mayor Pinefield's responsibility as he saw the shuttles continue to escape. Lunar City, Ayers. The extermination troops disarmed a large portion of the residents' military equipment. The only element of residence that remained was the force at the central government hall. The space noise had sent a transmission to the mayor indicating they would provide assistance. The irony of it all. He told his aide to send a reply. While we are grateful to Neo Zeon for offering to assist us, Iyer City will unfortunately end its resistance today and will re-enter the control of the Federation government. I shall die to take responsibility. We again thank Neo Zeon for their kind attentions and hope that they will continue to support the warriors and the new decides. There is no need to encrypt the report, just send it directly. Mayor. We've been completely and utterly defeated. The signaler's voice sounded a bit dry and hoarse. His body quivered slightly upon seeing the determination in the mayor's face. Please let me be there to accompany you. No, only the elderly possess the right to die. I owe you youngsters far too much. In order to save the reputation of Iron City, I must be the one to do this. As for all of you... Your mission is to educate the soldiers of tomorrow on the meaning of this battle and its results. If you are all to die, who will I have left to depend on? The mayor placed his hand on the signaler's shoulder. The signaler bowed silently, turned around, and walked out the door. <sighs> he heard the noise of an opening drawer. 
The mayor opened the drawer of the wooden desk and looked at fate. It felt heavy and ice cold in his hand. The young sailor closed the door and left. He heard the sound of something metallic being struck, followed by the sound of something breaking. At that moment, he stopped cold. He knew that the sound had ended Pinefield's life, along with ties to the Iron City. Meanwhile, a space fleet dispatched by the Neozeon forces approached the moon. Deck 2, hurry up with the launch of the sea types. It's too congested back here. On board the bright red flower calyx shaped battleship, the workers of the mobile suit deck were in a great rush. Bells were exchanged within the ship's interior. Unit after unit of pink painted Gaza sea type suits were being launched in space by the linear catapult system. Are we going to launch E type 2? We're preparing for war. Of course we'll launch it. Numerous Gaza type seas were launched by the catapult and surround the red battleship. Admiral Twanning, are you sure this is a good idea? Once Iron City falls, the current operation will be meaningless. Should we recall our forces? The captain of the battleship's Guare turned around to face the fleet commander behind him. No, just wait. Recalling the ground troops will hurt their morale. Besides, this is the best place to demonstrate our combat capabilities. According to the contents of the transmission, the people of Nudicides might still be of some use. Additionally, there are rumors that people within the organization have been secretly assisting us. The Admiral served in the command of Rear Admiral Cecilia Zabi and was involved with the defense of Abawaku till it fell. He was captured by the Federation and kept in a POW camp in Iceland. He was able to escape with the assistance of some fellow Zeon forces and fled. He was able to flee to the asteroid axis, which was under control of the Zeon army, and was involved in the creation of Neo-Zeon. Upon looking at a file, he found the informant was a man named Saotome. The remaining new decides troops were trying to flee via Iowa City's mass driver. The Earth Federation forces, extermination forces, finally realized the importance of the mass driver and were fighting the withdrawing forces. The launch mobile suits were without their pilots due to the high G's associated with launch. The pilots were launched separately into space via shuttles. The remaining new decides forces who established the fence perimeter were the most experienced and made use of the terrain to use guerrilla warfare tactics to hold off the Federation extermination forces. Offshore was leading these forces. He was able to re render nine enemy mobile suits inoperable in only 30 minutes. Since they were so outnumbered, he changed his approach from destroying the numerous suits and focused on rendering useless. His personal suit, the Zeku Ainz, appeared from the shadow of the cliff and scored his tenth suit of the day. He only destroyed the Nero's legs, causing it to fall to the ground, unable to move. However, Offshore knew that he did not have the time to confirm that the suit was disabled and quickly hid it under the left side of the rock's formation shadow. In order to succeed, he knew he had to keep moving after firing a shot. Despite causing a great deal of panic and knowing his tactics were superior to the enemy, he felt this sort of approach of moving stealthily was beneath him. He had no time to dwell on such things as he was a commander and needed to focus on using the least amount of force to achieve the greatest results. Before he knew it, he eliminated his 11th mobile suit. The White Squadron was no more. Iron City had surrendered. Offshore and the New Decides had lost all external sources of aid, and they were both heading into a dangerous and unstable future. Tex, Sigmund, hurry up and take down that mass driver. The other troops are being held off by guerrilla techs and can't get near it. 
VXS Gundam having being heavily damaged during its battle with Mark V have been sent to the supply base for light emergency repairs and thus lost most of its weapons. Currently, it can only borrow the beam rifle used by the Nouvelle GM-3. The two Zeta Plus suits were also damaged. However, because of the repair crew's intensive efforts, the EXS had finally been restored to its normal combat state. Upon receiving Manning's new orders, Roots felt that they were being unfairly treated once again. Why do you keep setting us off to die? We're already exhausted beyond belief. Why can't you let us rest a bit more, you scumbag? Unfortunately, we can't. Are you giving up now? Ryu Roots, your tone used to be so arrogant, but now you've become as cowardly as a mouse. The problem is that you aren't the one who decides whether or not you sortie. You were personally chosen and brought here to pile out the X Gundam. You cannot pass your position over to anyone else. As Roots was prone to do, he cursed Mannings and asked, Who was responsible for choosing him for EXS? In any case, you can't get out of this, no matter how much you'd like to. Do you realize that while you're whining, even more pilots lost their lives? So whether you like it or not, you need to go, Ryu Roots. <sighs> Fine, I'll go, damn it. The EXS once once again launched, and the two Zeta Plus suits continued to act as its escorts. Tex West was very angry and voiced objections as well, which was very uncharacteristic of him. The three Gundams approached the mass driver and saw the carnage of damage mobile suits strewn everywhere. The three suits realized that they needed to eliminate the mass driver when a 12th mobile suit was destroyed by Offshore. He proceeded to aim at his 13th target when he spotted the Gundam team. Offshore Zekuites leapt up in the air and pursued the EXS as a 13th mobile suit exploded. West told Roots that a blue mobile suit was rapidly approaching. Ryu acknowledged the report but said the objective wasn't the mobile suits. Sigma Shade and the other Zeta Plus recognized Offshore based on its movements as Zeku Einstein had shot him down. Despite his initial attack, Offshore missed and landed back on the surface of the moon. He then fired his thrusters again and pursued the launch rail. It's three Gundams. They're going for the mass driver. He managed to warn the, the accompanying suits while flying his own. The remaining new decides mobile suits in a defensive perimeter around the mass driver start to fire the three Gundams. They proceeded on their first pass to damage the rail. The Gundam team then made a 180 degree turn to make another pass. Just as made their initial approach, Azeku Ainz appeared before the EXS with his rifle aimed at him. When he was ready to fire, Offshore was stunned that he was attacked by a beam attack. The EXS changed his target and fired at Offshore. Why do you do this? I said our target isn't the mobile suits. A wave of vibration caused Offshore to slip into unconsciousness. Josh. Josh. He heard someone call his name. Offshore groaned. Josh, can't you tell? It's me, Cray. Captain Cray, where are we? We're inside the clinic of the Neo Zeon flagship, the battleship Ware. Neo Zeon? How did we end up here? They have come to help us. When you were attacked, they were near the launch rail's orbit. They're the ones who started the wave of bombardment to support us. To support us? How do you call that support? They were just firing at everyone indeterminately. Either way, that's what happened. 
I don't know who asked for them for help either, but at least they saved our lives. Our companions who left first in the shuttles are all on board this ship. In total, 40 members managed to escape alive, and we have them to thank for that. How was I unconscious? You were asleep for a whole day. We barely managed to rescue, but you were unconscious. Josh, you did well. By the way, it would be best if you didn't open your eyes yet. Most of your optical nerves were damaged by the impact. Don't worry, you're not blind. According to the doctors here, you'll recover within a month. A month? That long? You can fight again once you've recovered, so you need to rest up. In a month, the new decides would probably no longer exist. Offshore thought that in his heart, but did not dare say it aloud. He was afraid that if he were to say that, he would forfeit his right to life. I still need to see the fleet commander. Don't think too much, just rest. Cray left the clinic, leaving Offshore alone to face the dark world. On that same day, March 28th, the situation underwent another drastic change. The Neo-Zeon army had entered the battle, and the Federation forces ceased their attack due to political reasons. Neo-Zeon made use of this opportunity to receive the new decides troops stranded on the surface of the moon. However, also on that day, an entire lunar city had vanished forever. The EXS Gundam and the two Zeta Plus units stationed on the surface of the moon were called to the Pegasus 3 and prepared to accept a new mission. This week, we will cover the Neo Zeon Gaza E. I mean, what is an early stage Universal Century era Gundam series without featuring some Neo Zeon or Zeon mobile suit? So, the Gaza E's codename is AMX007, also known as MMT3. Its specification is in mobile suit form. It has an overall height of 24.76 meters, a head height of 16.27 meters, body weight of 38.8 tons, a total weight once fully equipped is 68.2. In mobile armor form, it has an overall length of 27.36 meters, overall width of 17.14, a height of 7.2 meters, Power generator output of 2,280 kilowatts. It has two 14,290 kilogram thrusters and four 7,680 kilogram thrusters. Its standard armaments includes two shoulder beam cannons of 10 megawatts output, a binder arm pod with total of two, and two standard beam savers. It has seven added two control verniers. Its sensor effective radius is 11,690 meters, and its armor is based off a Gundalium alloy. At Axis, it was necessary to have as much military power as possible with limited industrial production abilities. For that purpose, mass production of a single mobile suit was desirable, and the variable mobile suit Gaza series was introduced there. After a small number rather, of A and B types were produced on a trial basis, the C-type, which improved the defects revealed by them, was put on the mass production line and made the, made the main force of the initial Axis forces. This would be seen in Zeta Gundam and Double Zeta as well. 
the E-type Gaza is a continuation of both the C-type and D-type, but essentially, even though it's a multi-purpose mobile suit, it is a half-finished mobile suit. The Gaza E is able to transform into a mobile armor mode, and it can even fly into the atmosphere and even carry other mobile suits on its back like a base jobber. An offshoot of this production line would later become the Axis mobile suit Gazone, seen in Double Zade and Gundam Unicorn, and had the code name of AMX008. The model number MMT3 was a Federation designation of a unit from Axis during the Grips War. Also, the Gaza E was featured briefly in the Zeta Gunna compilation movie. Now, whether you feel the compilation movies are canonical, I'll leave that up to you to decide. Guerrilla Warfare will be the focus of this week's episode. Josh Offshore and the remaining new Decides forces on the moon were employing guerrilla tactics as they cover their withdrawal and use a mass driver to escape. Numerically, the new Decides forces were outnumbered by the extermination forces of the Earth Federation. Their goal was to harass the enemy and allow them to escape. Although Lieutenant Offshore ultimately was a casualty and did not see the new Decides forces completely free, their operation ultimately was successful. So, the word guerrilla is diminutive form of the word guerra, or war. It became popular as a designation of the Peninsula War of the early 19th century when Spanish and Portuguese uh, people fought against Napoleon's forces. It may have been used as early as 1809 to describe either individual combatants or as a group of such fighters. It represents a form of asymmetric warfare where two factions have unequal strength or number of forces. The aim is not to defeat an enemy, but generally to win the hearts and minds of a general population at the cost of the enemy. The goal is to magnify the effect of a small mobile force on a large solar one. If they are successful, they can even weaken an enemy by attrition, forcing them to withdraw from the area. Guerrilla tactics include avoiding confrontation with large groups or units, but to attack smaller groups and minimize their own losses. Then they try to utilize and take advantage of the area's terrain by moving in small units that larger opposing forces cannot use nearly as well. Examples of this include Mao Zedong during the Chinese Civil War or anti-Soviet Mujahideen forces in Afghanistan in the 20th century. In this chapter, Josh Osher hid using the rough lunar terrain to hide them and mount surprise attacks against Federation forces. Instead, he needed to keep moving into other locations. His tactics were effective in that he was able to run a 13 extermination troop mobile suit, uh, mobile suits inoperable and destroy them by himself. Sun Tzu, in his famous treatise, The Art of War, which is written in the 6th century BC, was one of the earliest to suggest the use of guerrilla tactics. In the 3rd century BC, Quintus Fabius Maxus Verucosus is considered the father of guerrilla warfare, which is very effective against Hannibal Barca's enemy. It's become known as the Fabian strategy. Some more controversial elements of guerrilla warfare include the use of indigenous population as a way to blend in and hide. More extreme forms include the use of children as combatants. Now, while this is not something that was featured in Gundam Sentinel, at least so far, but the use of children as soldiers is very common in the Gundam franchise, including obviously First Gundam. More recent entries also feature this in both the Universal Century and various alternate universe timelines. There are references included in the show notes that you can refer to if you wish at the end. Next episode, 
Chapter 11 Target Penta The new designs in Neo Zeon Fleet combined forces. The Task Force Alpha received new orders. Alice has a deeper purpose. Was it coming to fruition? Finally, Neo Zeon gives the remnant forces of new designs a powerful new weapon. Please be check out the Twitter page at Gun and Sentinel 2, Instagram at Gun and Sentinel Podcast, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash Gun and Sentinel Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and give a review on whatever means you listen to this podcast and tell your gun and loving otaku friends to check it out. Until next time.